0: Corinthians, 3rd chapter and uh, verse 13. Now I hope you're recognizing that God's correction of Corinth and His advice to the church is this is also uh, applicable to the church at Benton City. And so the discussion is in regard to the nature of the body in the first four chapters. What is the nature of the church, the body of Christ? Well, uh, we've already covered uh, the first uh, five uh, things about the nature of the body uh, but Paul begins remember by showing that the body is empowered by God God is in the body with us He's uh, his presence is here his anxieties are uh, his not anxieties his uh, willingness to help if we're willing to go with him and uh And uh, he'll see us through to the day of Christ. That was Paul's admonition to the Corinthians, uh, that they're very special in the eyes of God. He paid quite a price for you and me. And and so the local body is empowered by God. That local body is imperiled by division. That's the only thing that can destroy the congregation in an area is division it can have all kinds of problems that can be solved through teaching and preaching in love but if it's got divisions uh, that'll pretty well separate it and send it off down its way and I've seen congregations go that way turn into nothing in a community they'd sell the building and uh, finally because of division oh, I so and then he discussed uh, the body of Christ. It's, confu- it's uh, composed of fools, of God. That's what we're looked upon by the world. Because of what we preach, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Greeks. Uh, all right, then uh, he presented the local body as, that is not resting on man's wisdom. That was chapter 2, remember? And uh, these things need to be appreciated as well as associated with Benton City and the church here, and the church in Richmond, the church in Kennewick, the church wherever it is. And that local body is confronted with the mind of Christ. And so that's the one that has authority, and that's the, the, the confrontation that the church faces is the mind uh, of Christ, His Word. Uh, Remember John began his gospel by presenting Jesus as what? The Word. Uh, uh, Last week we saw that the church, uh, the body, is God's workmanship. And then we... Uh, are looking at it this evening we're finishing up in verse 10 through 15 of the fact that the church is also man's workmanship as he works in unison preaching the mind of Christ uh, and so I want to begin in verse 5 and re- refresh us down to verse 13 where we're at first of all it's God's workmanship Be- well let's begin verse 4 For while one saith, I am of Paul, another, I am of Paulus, are you not carnal? And so he's proved their carnality in thinking, because rather than recognizing that they're the body of Christ, and they follow Christ, and uh, the mind of Christ, here they are separated and following men. And so he said, that proves your carnality. But then he goes in, in verse 4, or verse 5, talking about how that the body is God's workmanship. Listen to how it said. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? Alright, so uh, they're the body of Christ that believes in Christ because the ministers, Paul and, and Apollos and them, have come there and established that fact. I have planted, he said. Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. Now notice uh, Paul and Apollos done their work, planting and polishing uh, uh, planting and watering. But whose body is it? It's the body of Christ. And God gives the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth. They're just merely uh, servants, aren't they? But it's God that gives the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Paul and Apollos are one. Uh, And every man shall receive his own reward according to his labor, his own labor. Uh, For we are laborers together with God. Now, he's still trying to dissolve this uh, division that he began in chapter 1, verse 10 with. He says, Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. They're merely the ones that plants and waters. That's all they do. They plant the mind of Christ. They water it with the mind of Christ. God gives the increase. All right. Beginning in verse 10 through verse 15, uh, he begins to talk about man's workmanship and we got through part of that. He says verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given you unto, unto, excuse me, is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And another buildeth upon that foundation or buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. All right, so his warning here is going to be in regard to man's uh, workmanship in the church. It's God's workmanship primarily. But man needs to take a warning about his workmanship. Uh, And that's what he's given here. He says, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's the foundation on which the church rests. And it begins its education It begins its understanding with recognizing that they are the body of Christ, purchased with blood. Now, that being said, that foundation is unshakable, isn't it? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 13 uh, through 20, uh, well, verse 18 particularly. He said, upon this rock, upon this firm conviction of who I am, the Christ, the Son of God, I will build my church. And so it's built on the the foundation of Christ. Uh, He's the one that purchased it with blood, Acts 20, verse 28. And uh, when you begin there, you're beginning with the grace of God through that blood that reaches every one of us that will listen to it and obey it. And consequently, you can solve all problems When you recognize the foundation that began there, and so his warning is is to these teachers, these builders, uh, about how they build on this foundation. But there's only one foundation that can be laid. There's nothing else that will adhere and hold man than other than the love of God uh, that's found in Christ. They they just didn't anything. Uh, Everything else is a charlatan. Verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day will declare it. Now, that brings us into our study this evening in regard to man's work. Here, as we finish up uh, verse 10 through 15, we're in verse 13, talking about, Paul's talking about man's side of it. Uh, He's the one that builds on this foundation of Christ. So, verse 13. Uh, Now, he just talked about, uh, remember last week we discussed that, I think, enough to understand it. Uh, Men build on that foundation, and uh, some of his works may turn out to be wood, hay, stubble, Gold, silver, precious stones, that's not necessarily up to him. Because verse 15 says that regardless of whether it's wood, hay, or stubble, or silver and gold, or whatever is built on that foundation, verse 15, I believe it is, it makes it clear that if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And so this fire that's being discussed, as we saw last week, is the judgments of God that comes every day in every way. It's the fires of life that proves us, that tests our mettle, that refines the church. All right, so let's begin right there. Uh, His work will, verse 13, His work will be shown for what it is uh, this workman uh, who builds on this foundation. Uh, because the day will bring it to light. Uh, it will be revealed in life's time and every day by fire. Well, fire is the judgment of God. Uh, that goes along with the fact that his judgment is, uh, as the writer said in one place, Uh, It's a sore travail that God has put man to here on the earth to be exercised thereby. You're in boot camp. You're in training. And you prove yourself, whether you're wood, hay, stubble, or gold and silver. Because we've already seen what the fire does to those two. Wood, hay, and stubble are consumed, aren't they? So when you preach the mind of Christ to a congregation, you're building upon the foundation that He he uh, is, that he built the foundation of Christ and when you preach uh, men who uh, will be offended men who, men and women who will uh, uh, get up and walk away, they're the wood, hay and stubble, they're going to be burned up I mean that's the end of them and it has a purging effect on the church and you ought to be grateful for that, you ought to be grateful for the purifying of the church and the word of God does that and what's left gold, silver because when wood, hay and stubble are burned in the fire they're consumed, they're destroyed but when gold and silver and things of precious metals like that go through the fire it's for purification and so the wood, hay and stubble wouldn't be pur- purified, they just got offended and left, well that's their prerogative. That's their right that God gave them to make a choice. And so it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So here is a, an admonition to us as builders on the foundation of Christ. What does fire do to wood, hay, and stubble? burns it up. What does it do to gold, silver, and precious stones? It makes it stronger. Uh, it purifies it and so when God's judgments comes on the church it comes to purify it to make it stronger and that's what it does doesn't it we weep our tears over different things that come upon us in life's way that God allows and uh, maybe sins directly I don't know uh, in every case but nevertheless that's his program. And it brings tears and heartache sometimes. But when we reason through it, we can see that it has strengthened us because we've come to see some things that we didn't see before the tears. You know, tears brings you to to the bottom, as it were, where you can figure out what the problem is. A lot of times you don't want to deal with the problem until the tears come. And so... uh, fire doesn't hurt the church uh, it purifies it and so we lay the bricks there the Lord sends the fire which would be judgments temptations trials tribulations all of such we read about in the scriptures that it burns up if it's wood hay or stubble uh, and and uh, uh, we're sorrowful about that. That has to happen. But we're very glad about it that it did happen uh, because uh, we're sorrowful that they were wood, hay, and stubble. We That hurts. Uh, but that's their choice. But aren't we grateful the church was purified and is purified by the fire? God is observing what goes on here in Benton City. Now, he's not going to come and pat you on the back and tell you all he's doing and all his plans. But by faith and his love that caused the, the cross to be erected in the first place for you and I, he is concerned about the church. He done told the Corinthians, God will see you through to the day of Christ, to the day of judgment. He'll, he'll And we read in other places a little bit about that seeing us through. He won't allow you to be tempted above that you're able to bear, but will with the temptation give you a way of escape if you want it. Otherwise, you turn out to be wood, hay, or stubble. And so we're grateful the church was purified by the fire. And uh, we really know who are the saints then, don't we? After the fire, the spiritual brothers and sisters, they're the ones that continue in serving the Lord and worshiping God. Others get their feelings hurt and puff off like a uh, a big old toad, you know. All puffed up and acting like somebody ought to be whooped and caused them a little grief. Well, the truth is going to cause problems. Let me suggest something to you. It's not in our lesson necessarily, but let me suggest something for your own private notation as you're reading the scriptures. Did the Lord insult people? He's our example. We're to follow. Did he insult people? What about the woman, the Gentile woman, who was considered dogs by the Jews? They weren't supposed to go into the Gentiles' house because they were unclean. All right, what about that Gentile woman? She came to Jesus uh, seeking uh, uh, some help uh, over a sickness or something, uh, some of his power. And uh, what did he say to her? He asked her a question that would be insulting to anybody else. He said, is it right to give food to the children to dogs. What did he just call that woman? A dog. Why did he do that? He was testing her faith. She was going through one of the trials of life. Uh, She could have got puffed up. You call me a dog. Well, I'm out of here. I ain't going to put up with this. But what did she do? She proved her faith. She said, well, Master, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the from the man's table. She showed humility to the nth degree. But my point is, is it wrong because the preacher or the teacher in class offends somebody with the truth? It's got to come. And it will come. Because that's how the church is purified. By the mind of Christ that Paul's already presented in chapter 2. When we present the mind of Christ as a builder on the foundation of Christ as we build with the word of God we're going to offend people. You ever seen a preacher do a fancy dance around the truth trying not to offend anybody? If you preach baptism what's it going to do to a hard headed Baptist? Well Well, I'm out of here I've heard enough of this crap and out he goes. And so there's no humility there. There's no like the uh gentile woman she very humble she said we may be dogs but even the dogs eat the crumbs and she wanted the crumbs at least the crumbs from the Lord well she got it she got what she was looking for uh, another time and I, I forget where it's at but it's in the gospels uh Jesus was uh, uh, fencing with the Jews with the Word of God. And He spoke in parables. It was prophesied that He would speak in parables. And the apostles, they gathered around Jesus with clenched teeth. You can see it in the text. As they judged Him, and they said, Don't you know that you offended those Jews? He said, Yeah, I know. They needed to be offended. Is there some people need to be offended? Yeah, there is. It starts in the home, doesn't it? You offend them little lot don't you? You bring them into reality of who's running the household, or else they run the household, don't they? (laughs) And life is that way to teach you uh, respect and regard. Uh... And so Jesus offended the Jews and He knew it. He'd done it a purpose to do that. You're either offended by the truth or you obey it. One of the two. One of the two. You either humble yourself to the truth, as Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 6, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you. And part of that humbling is like that Gentile woman being called a dog and like those Jews being offended at what the Lord told told them. You remember He told them how that uh, they were the ones who were husbandmen over God's vineyard, that He planted and built a water tower and provided everything in that vineyard uh, as God provided the truth of His plan in the Old Testament all the way through. And the Jews were chosen by God to be just that, husbandmen, Uh, in his vineyard and you remember how Jesus told about how the the father sent back servants one at another uh, one at a time and another and what did they do to those servants they said let us kill them get them out of the way they wanted to take over God's heritage if God had revealed himself real clear in the Old Testament they would have claimed credit for, for bringing about salvation. That's why God said in Isaiah, I'll share my glory with no one. And that's why he spoke in dark sayings. They could understand it, but not as clear as they would like to. Kind of like us, we see things in the, in the Bible, but as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we look through a glass as it were darkly. But one day, face to face... And so, so Jesus spoke in parables and insulted them people, uh, made them mad. He told how that they killed all the servants that God said to them. Same, same thing Stephen told him in Acts seven and got him killed. He said, Ye do always resist the Spirit of God. As your fathers did, so do ye. That's verse fifty it's Acts seven fifty one. And then he told him. he said, Which one of the prophets is not your father's killed? God said to you, you killed every one of them. He said his own son, you killed him. And Jesus told a parable of that. He said, Finally, this master of this vineyard, he sent to these husbandmen to see the welfare of his state, of his place. He sent his own son, and they killed him. And after Jesus left, it says, Then the Jews began to understand that he was talking about them. The Jewish nation all right so uh, don't get all upset with a preacher that's up here and offend somebody he didn't do it to run them off but you got to preach the Word of God don't you you're going to step around to work some of the truths in the Word of God so you don't offend somebody There's been many cases where a congregation has hired a preacher. And let me give you a little rundown here of how that develops. So the elders of this congregation, most of them have daughters uh, and sons. And so they've hired this preacher. They get him off in private in the office and they say, Now look, uh, we're glad that you're here. We want you to work with us. But kind of walk around divorce and marriage and remarriage and all that stuff because we have these problems here. We don't want to offend anybody. You see the point? And so we got to get over this idea of politically correct nonsense and this offending someone. Okay, I got that out of the system. <laughs> Let's go back to our text here. Uh, so let me ask the question. Is judgment in time good stuff? Was judgments that you face today, was they good for you? They put you to the test, didn't they? And that's what life is all about. It's a sore travail God has put man to here to be on the earth to be exercised thereby. Alright, so judgment in time is good stuff. Trouble is good stuff, isn't it, when trouble comes. The man that's able to stand in the day of trouble is the man of God, isn't it? I mean, when death comes, when trouble comes in any way, I just mentioned death because that's generally uh, the hardest thing that this world has to deal with, is death. It's amazing to me how God looks upon it. He rejoices in the death of his saints. But we're down here, and we ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be tickled to death when a brother departs, shouldn't we? If you're on the battlefield, you're in the mud and the blood and the guts. That's as far as I'll go to describe it. You're in hell, as it were. You're wading through Problems after problems, and and all of this sleeping in wet clothes and uh, mud and everything else, eating cold food. You're having a hard time, aren't you? And your comrade that sleeps in the pup tent with you, your buddy that shares the foxhole with you, gets his orders to go home. How do you re- re- How do you react to that? All of the troops on the front line are glad and rejoicing and wanting to tell him, boy, you're one of the lucky ones. You get to go home. But how do we face that? Oh, my goodness. It's just so terrible. Oh. It ain't terrible. It's part of life. And you know what? Before we get finished with the next chapter, Paul's going to tell us whether... uh, Uh, chapter here in the end of chapter 3, look at verse 30, uh, 22. Whether Paul or Apollos, Cephas or the world or, Lord, uh, or the world, or life or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. You ever thought of death being yours in a very unique way? It's a discharge from a wearisome battlefield. We'll get to that passage and discuss it a little deeper when we get there. But trouble is good stuff. uh, Tribulation is good stuff. Temptation is good stuff, according to the teachings of uh, epistles like James, for example. And so we rejoice when we fall into manifold temptations. And by the way, the word rejoice... In one translation is pure joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Pure joy when you fall into manifold uh, tribulation. Knowing the tribulation worketh patience, and patience endureth. Endurance, and endurance, so on and so forth. That's James 1, verse 2 through 4. But what happens to the worldly people that come into the church and, and God tries the church there in Benton the City with fire? What happens? They get all swelled up, don't they? Because uh, they don't deserve fire. They don't deserve judgment. They don't deserve being humbled. They're, they Anyway, so... Uh, So there's joy in tribulation and trouble, temptation, trials. There's joy there. That's what James says, whether you understand it or not. That's what he says by the Word of God. And here's why. Because of the outcome, not because it feels good. There's a lot of things that hurts pretty bad. Uh, If we lose a loved one, uh, I'll just mention that here. Uh... Right here at this point, we're gonna feel bad. Why? Because we're selfish. We didn't want them to leave. We we didn't want. We don't want to miss their daily activity around us. If they're a husband or a wife or, or whatever, we're jealous. We're uh, selfish. That's what tears generally are: selfishness. But once we shed the tears, then we can see daylight, can't we? And so, uh, so there's joy and tri- tribulation and, and temptation and those things that James mentions uh, because of the outcome and not because it feels good. Only a pervert person rejoices in the way trouble feels. That's a pervert. That's what they call him. He's, he's crazier than a loon. He's a pervert. But we rejoice in it. We rejoice in the time of tribulation and trouble. That's what James says. We rejoice in it while it's going on, uh, being grateful for it, because we are sure of the outcome. Now there is a secret to success. We know whose we are. And we know that God will see us through to the day of Christ. Paul then told the Corinthians that in the ninth verse of chapter 1. And so uh, we know we're gold, silver, and precious stones that he talks about here. And so the fire does what to us? Makes us stronger and makes us pure. It purifies gold and silver and things, doesn't it? You run it through the fire, it renders off the dross. And that's a a reason for life. And... uh, so, so do I suffer loss? If what I've built as a minister, uh, as a brother who teaches and preaches, and I build upon this foundation of Christ, if what i built survives, I, I receive a reward. Verse 15, if it's burned up, he will suffer loss. That's true. He himself will be saved but only as one escaping through the fire, uh, the flames. And so uh, even the one who builds on this foundation faces the fire, doesn't he? The fiery trials of life. (coughs) Isaiah 48.10, God told Israel, I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction and the fiery trials of life be tried and proven. Man has no worth till he's proven, does he? And so if the fire proves my work, it also proves what? It proves me also. That's what that verse said, wasn't it? Listen to it again. Uh, We will be saved, the guy that builds on this foundation uh, and his work is burned up. But only as one who escapes through the fire flames. And so, if the fire proves my work, it also proves what? It proves me. Uh, Now, let me ask you a question here. Could wood, hay, or stubble lay gold, silver, and precious stones on this altar, uh, on this foundation? Yes. Can a man preach the truth who's phony? Yes. There was a preacher, won't give his name, who never was honest, never was sincere, and uh, he killed himself on a parking lot after he checked himself out of the mental institution that he spent some time in. He was married to his third wife. He shot himself Uh, deader than a doornail Uh, he was wood, hay or stubble it's like mentioned here in the text but do you know that there are nations that now know Christ because of people he wanted Jesus so my question is again can wood, hay or stubble uh, lay Uh, on the foundation, gold, silver, and precious stone. Oh yeah, they'll be burned up, but they have produced quite a bit for the cause of Christ. So I thank God for the wood, hay, and stubble because uh, it laid gold, silver, and precious stone on the foundation. I'm sorry uh, for that guy that I just mentioned. And I hurt for his damned state that he's in uh, now after he died. But I rejoice that he was on the wall for a while because on the wall, there's where he done his work of laying, uh, producing gold, silver, and precious stones on the foundation of Christ. Uh, Let me add to that one thing. Billy Graham... Every time that he come on, and I knew he was on uh, TV, preaching somewhere, I always turned over and listened to him. And the hair would stand up on the back of my neck as he preached about the love of God. Now he didn't preach to all the truth, because if he did, he wouldn't have the standing that he had in the nation. You see, he rallied in different places like Seattle, uh, Los Angeles, Chicago, and he had forerunners that went out ahead of him, uh, and they'd go into a city, and they would gather with the uh, uh, ecumenical council of churches. And they would tell the churches, listen, if you'll provide a place for Billy Graham for him to come and preach, and if you'll advertise and do this work, we can guarantee of increasing your congregation by 10% because we've done it in the past. That's our protocol. And so they would convince a city like Seattle, uh, all the churches there to get together and pay the tariff and rent a ballpark or whatever for him to preach in. And Billy Graham knew that if he ever preached the truth about the one church, the one faith, or doctrine, uh, the oneness of religion of Ephesians 4, 4-6, if he ever preached that, he would lose his standing like that because he's got to preach. And when he finished his preaching, what did he say? Go to the church of your choice. Is it your choice? There's only one church. And if you don't hear that one church, you have no hope. But he always said, go to the church of your choice. So you see, Billy Graham knew where to step off at. And I'm sure he justified his conscience by saying, well, I don't preach all the truth, but I I preach about Jesus uh, and the love of Jesus. And uh, and, uh, he felt like that he was doing a good work the Lord. Well, there's probably a lot of people that considered what he said about Jesus and was saved and become, later around the world, become gold and silver and precious stones. But he himself would, would be burned up because he wasn't faithful. He wasn't faithful. All he was faithful preaching about the love of God as far as a sacrifice was made and cross was resurrected but that was it <clears throat> uh, so there's a case where a guy could be wood hair stubble and be burned up eventually but in the process he could lead a lot of people to the Lord by preaching. When Billy Graham preached, I just rejoiced that he was up there before billions of people. Maybe not in that particular audience, but around the world as they saw that. And I like to hear a mention about the cross and about Christ, Didn't don't you? I rejoice in that. Even if the guy is a charlatan, even if he is a Baptist and doesn't believe in baptism, and has never been saved. Still in all, you can't help but rejoice when men uh, point out the highlights, the very highlight of life itself, the sacrifice that was made for us. So, uh, So there'll be probably thousands of people in heaven because he was on the wall for a while before he went crazy and killed himself. So don't dare make a judgment uh, saying something like uh, that guy's wood and I'm not gonna convert him. A nation may not hear as quickly because you discriminated in that one case. How do you know? And so this text says that you don't judge, you just build. You're a builder, not a judge. It's none of my business what you do with the truth. It's none of my business. It's none of your business what I do with the truth. Except you probably wouldn't listen to me if you thought I was walking contrary to what I taught. That's a hypocrite. But nevertheless, we're not judges. We're brothers. And that's what Paul addressed these people uh, with, is the fact that we're brothers. We're brothers in a kingdom. We stand together. We fight together. We help heal. We help wrap one another's wounds and stop the bleeding best we can. But we don't judge. Yet, let me tell you that the Lord said, by a man's fruits you'll know him. Now you can know somebody without judging them, can't you? You know, guys, we know Abraham, don't we? We know him to be a liar, too, don't we? We're not judging him. We just know the facts of him. Well, we know one another, too, don't we? We know things about one another. We learn things about one another. But above all of the problems and the difficulties that he's having and we're having and we're all having together, we love him. Why? Because they were created in the image of God. And, of course, that gets us into 1 John, doesn't it? We love because he first loved. All right. And so you don't judge the character of uh, the man's work that is working to put this uh, on this uh, foundation that he's uh, building on. Uh, You just lay the... uh, uh, And so you recognize that they are uh, not the work of God. you just laying the foundation on the wall. You just get them to the wall. Uh, you don't dare not lay them on the wall. Uh, you don't make judgments that this guy is wood, hay, or stubble. And you don't even uh, t- attempt to try to teach him. That's not your decision to make anybody that says uh, I want to be on the wall uh, uh, work with them as best you can and trust God's judgment to reveal what they're like and so anyone uh, that wants to be on the wall wants to be on the foundation uh, we ought to be willing to teach them I've said this before and I think it's a very striking statement uh, that gets people's attention but if the biggest whore in Benton City came through that door and I preached for the next thousand years I would try to greet her with the utmost dignity every time she came even though she may never obey the gospel because it's not my business to judge, it's my business to preach and I should be glad for the opportunity to help build on this foundation. So here's man's workmanship with God's workmanship. The church is God's workmanship, and we've been privileged to build on that foundation that he laid. And so uh, if somebody wants to be on the wall, I don't judge them because of their, uh, how ugly they may be in character, it's not my business. My business is to love them. All right, so uh, so God will do the purifying of them, or He'll be do the burning up of them. That's up to Him. He's the judge. That's the same God, the same fire that purifies the gold and burns the wood, hay and stubble. So the church is not only the local body. It's not only God's work and man's work as we've seen so far in our outline. But because it's both of these, it is the holy of holies. Because this is where the presence of God is. And we've had a part in bringing men and building them on this foundation where God is. We brought them in to the Holy of Holies, as it were. Now Christ is the one that gave us access to the Holy of Holies, but we're the ones that invited in in view of Christ. We brought them in. As Paul said, we're ambassadors uh, for Christ. We beseech men in in because of Christ to, to obey the gospel. And so the local body is the Holy of Holies. And that's verse 16 and 17. Look at it. I want to read those two verses and then we'll discuss it a little bit. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? Now, we're going to have to discuss a little bit of how that, those two verses have been ripped out of their context. What's he talking about there? The most holy place in the world is the local body, right here at Bent City. Now you wouldn't think that because of this old building and all of us uglies that are here. You wouldn't think that, and all of our problems that we have. But this is the holy of holies right here. The temple of God. And Paul told the Corinthians, Know ye not. Don't you know that you're the temple of God? And so the most holy place in the world is a local body that meets on the corner of grace and faith anywhere in the world. The most holy place. And that's going to make me sort of uncritical of the local body, isn't it? Because I know that the church is the most holy, is the holy of holies. Can I criticize you and you criticize me? Well, yeah. But let's not criticize the body because it's the work of God, it's the work of man, it's the work of both of them, isn't it? It's the holy place. Verse 16 He says, Don't you know? And every time Paul says that, you know. They what? They know. (laughs) He said, Don't you know? He's really sort of a mockery. Uh, He's saying, in essence, you guys have forgotten this already. Don't you know that yourselves now uh, are God's temple? Now, notice that yourselves are God's temple. Who's he talking to? The local body, the church. And so he uses the plurality there, yourselves, as being God's temple, and uh, the temple being singular, but it's plural in its makeup. He's not talking about your body. Get that idea out of your head. He's not talking about your body. He's talking about his body, the church. That's what he's been talking about. He had not changed subjects. He's talking about the body that God uh, establishes on this foundation of Christ and this body that you and I work to build upon that foundation. Alright? He's not talking about the temple of God as your body. He's not saying that at all. Will he talk about that? Yes. Three more chapters he'll deal with it in chapter 6. But here, uh, you brothers, both spiritual and carnal, and I keep emphasizing that because we need to know that. Uh, You brothers, spiritual and carnal, are God's temple. That's what he's saying. Whether you're carnal or spiritual, you're God's temple. Can God? Who does God start working with when He works with an individual? Generally, it's a carnality, isn't it? He has to bring that person into an understanding that brings him out of the world and away from the wisdom and the wise of the world and the ways of the world. And he is in his carnality; he's being refined, isn't he? Yeah. so in the church do we have carnal and spiritual yes we do and Paul calls both of them his brother they make up the temple of God does God have immature babies in his kingdom yes he does some of them were just maybe baptized last week or a month ago or six months ago or a year ago are they on their way of walking with God yeah, they come to Bible class, they're doing their best to learn, and they're studying at home, and they're doing everything they can to follow and walk with the Lord in the truth. 1 John 1.7 And so, uh, so he says, he calls them brothers, spiritual and carnal, are God's temple. That's what he's saying. Now that's not temples, plural, uh, that's First Corinthians six, but you are God's temple. Singular, speaking about the church. So the Church of Christ at Benton City is His temple. The Richland Church of Christ is His temple. The Kennewick and Pasco Church of Christ are His temple. And that one copper and that anti Church of Christ are His body. And even though they're labeled anti, they are brothers. Don't build fences where God doesn't build fences. And all those adjectives in front of it are man's inventions, not God's. You'll not read Andy uh, because they have a, they're have carnal or have problems. You'll not read that in the Scriptures. That That's an adjective that man has put in there. Paul didn't say, now you carnal brothers. He said, you brothers are carnal. He lets them know they're brothers first before he mentions the problem. There's a difference. When he says brothers, he identifies with them. If he said, you carnal brothers, uh, does he identify with them or thrust them from him? Well, that kind of a statement would thrust them from him. Uh, So he's saying, look, spiritual or carnal, You're the holy place, because you're what? Bricks in God's house, and you're on your process of being built upon this foundation. And you're plants in God's field. You are plants in His field, bricks in His house, so you are what? You're the temple of God. Uh. Because he also has one over in, uh, but uh, you're the temple of God. But a correction here, a temple of God, because why? Why are they a temple of God? Because God has also one over in Ephesus. He has one in Thessalonica. He has one in Colossians. And they're all the same, ain't they? They're built on the foundation of Christ. And so, uh, do they look different? Yeah. But are they different? No. Is the church in Philippi more holy than the church in Corinth? No. Because of the blood of Christ, they're all pure and clean. No condemnation to them that are in Christ, Romans 8.1. Uh, so they're... they're uh, they're not more holier than another congregation, uh, not unless the blood of Christ can be diluted, and that's the way we think sometimes. Is oh, this congregation, yeah, there's somewhat of the Lord, and we talk as though God's Christ's blood is diluted, that it can only uh, it has lost part of its power. If they've been set free, born into God's family, and their sins are washed away, and they're in Christ, what's Romans 8, 1 say? There is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ, provided they walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So it's a matter of walk then, isn't it? Uh, So uh, his blood is not deluded because why are they the temple of God because of what they are or because of whose they are it's because of whose they are isn't it absolutely that they are the temple of God now you may not recognize it right now but later when you've got uh, when you've uh, got to deal with brotherhood problems, You're going to appreciate these two verses very much. If you are someday used by God to solve problems, deep carnal problems, uh, you're going to be grateful to be able to tell carnal brethren that they are the temple of God, just like Paul did. Because that gives them some self-image, or some uh, His image, in other words. That will enable them to correct it. uh, Their carnality. Verse 16. You are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. Now the spirit is singular. But you are plural here. As he talks to the church. Uh. Now, is he going to talk about God's Spirit living in individual people? Yeah, he is. But that's not what he's talking about here. Remember, he's got another statement about the temple of God over in chapter 6. He's saying here, I want you to know that the church of God at Corinth is God's temple, and that God's Spirit lives in the church of God at Corinth. And so... Uh, What gives the church life? The same thing that gives us life individually, the Spirit of God. That's what gives us life. Now, both the church and the individual are the temples of God. Both the church and the individuals have the Spirit of God living in them. Both the church and the individual has life because of the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit, Jesus said in John six sixty It is the Spirit that giveth life, and flesh profiteth nothing. The word that I have spoken unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. Now here comes the judgmental statement. Uh, that first statement in verse 16 is just a positive, building statement of truth. Now here comes the judgmental statement. If anyone destroys God's temple, is that a word against smoking or against jealousy or faction or division? Because we're talking about the church as a body. It's not your body as a temple. This passage is to guard our uh, attacking each other. Isn't that how you destroy the body in this passage? We're reading... uh, By jealousy of one another, quarreling with one another about following each other and elevating each other. See, you're actually destroying the body by elevating the saints because only Jesus is elevated. And you're elevated because of him. You can't follow Paul or follow Apollos legitimately. Because in doing that, you're destroying this temple concept that he's talking about here with the temple of God. The concept of the local body being the temple of God negates any jealousy, quarreling, or division. Paul's getting right down to cases in these first four chapters about the body. Now he will apply them starting in chapter 5. to all the seventeen problems that they have, their Corinth, and so I suggest if you go to a problematic place in your travels, in your moving, and the only way you will not do that is to go to heaven from here. But if you go to a problematic place, remember that principle. Uh, that principle precedes precepts. That you need to lay down the principle on the body before you start dealing with the problems and that's what Paul's doing here he's showing them that they're the temple of God now verse 17 if any man destroys God's temple God will destroy him wow every now and then uh, that's the theological comment we need to give to verses like that wow Boy, how tragic would uh, that be? Because when God destroys, does he do a good work? Ask Sodom and Gomorrah how good he done a a job on them. I mean, God does a thorough work of destruction. And if anybody sets himself against the local church, he will be set upon by God. That's what verse 17 says. Whosoever destroys the temple of God, God shall uh, destroy him. Now, this is not talking about smoking. There's this, there's this uh, immature uh, teaching going around. And, oh, you're the temple of God. If you destroy the temple by smoking. Uh, God's going to destroy you. No, it ain't even talking about that. I'm talking about the church. And it's a warning to the false teachers. You be careful how you build on this foundation. Because if you build upon it uh, uh, incorrectly, God's going to destroy you. And what would make a man build on it incorrectly? What makes the denominational preachers preach the way they do? Because they love money. Because they love prestige and glory. Self-glory. It's not because they love the truth. Yet they use the truth as a vehicle to get their self, self-glory. self Do you see that? Just because a man preaches it doesn't mean he's sincere about it. times up. and so the teaching there is don't set yourself against the local body because God sets himself against you now why does God do that why does he destroy verse 17 for God's temple is sacred Don't tamper with it. You'll destroy it. What is today? Twenty ninth. Twenty ninth. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you again for listening to me. I think...